choice? Did you grow up in New York? Yeah, I was born and raised in uh, Brooklyn, New York. And I uh, went to high school there, went to elementary school there, went to junior high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I always say that I'm a project kid. I don't have any problem saying that. You know, that's something that uh, sometimes people have a little shame with, but I don't because I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't have those experiences. Uh, grew up not too far away from Mike Tyson. You know, in New York, we have what's called blocks. And a block is maybe a couple of yards, depending on where you stay. I was in East New York, Brooklyn. I grew up across the street from uh, Jefferson High School. So Mike Tyson stayed in the opposite direction. And uh, it's a funny story about that. Um, Mike Tyson had some cousins. And uh, one day I had some sneakers um, that was given to me, some Converse All-Star, uh, we used to call them leather, black on white upper uh, ankle tops. And so, High tops, they called them. And uh, my brother, uh, he he was always the guy around the neighborhood that everybody knew who was like, you don't mess with this family because of him. Well, anyway, I got these high tops in school and uh, by being on the honor roll. And they were like, hey, these guys are going to take your sneakers. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I just got them. <laughs> it's like, who's going to take my sneakers? And apparently they were like uh, kind of play cousins of Mike Tyson. And so... I was terrified throughout the whole class. People were telling me, man, they're gonna take your sneakers. What are you gonna do? I'm like, I gotta figure out something. So end of class, the bell rings, and I'm saying, oh my God, I gotta go out here, and I'm gonna get beat up in front of everybody, and these guys are gonna take my shoes, my sneakers off my feet. So me being the smart person that I was at that age, I said, okay, I don't wanna do that. I'm gonna go the other direction. So there was a, a teacher who, she was leaving, and I said, listen, can I, can I leave with you? Do you mind if I walk out this way? And we went out the back way. As I walk out the back way, I can look down the street on the corner and I could see that these guys were waiting. So I did the right thing and I ran home. As I get to the stoop, my brother's standing there. He's like, why are you sweating? What's going on? And I'm like, these guys are going to take my sneakers. And he goes, who? Show me. And so I go and I point to them and he goes, all right, you go home. He beats these guys up. <laughs> and um, yeah. My brother, my brother, he was, he was an amazing being back then in those days. So anyway, my point is, the reason why I'm saying that is growing up in Brooklyn, it, it was tough. It wasn't easy. I got mugged. Um, it, was, uh, it was tough. It was tough back in the 80s. It wasn't easy. But it helped me to get into the martial arts, which is something that's helped me in my life tremendously. And it helped me to know a lot about myself. So, you know, I'm, I'm a smart guy. I mean, you can't pull the wool over my eyes. And you can't sell me the Brooklyn Bridge. It's not going to happen anytime soon. So, yeah, growing up in New York. But there was fun things in New York as well. I mean, it was great growing up in the 80s. I mean, come on. You had the best music, you know. And you had some of the best experiences ever. But uh, I learned a lot about who I was and what I was going to become by growing up in New York. One of my favorite sort of sayings is owning your own story. Mm -hmm. And I heard that one time I was looking at some comments on a, an article and someone talked about that and I was like, wow. And it's about accepting where you're from and who you are and being okay with that. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people do want to put on airs mm -hmm. when they come to LA mm -hmm. because there's shame or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I can say I felt that. Mm -hmm. So when did you decide, you know what, I'm going to own my own story and I'm okay with me? Mm -hmm. I'll tell you this, you know, when I, when I first came out to LA, it was for music. I was a music producer for an R&B artist, a double platinum artist on RCA Records. And one of the things that I've learned 
you know, I, I was fortunate to have a mom who, uh, even though she was raising five young boys, she was strong. She went back to college. Uh, she went and got her GED and then went to college at a later age. And she always took care of us and she always made sure we had what we needed. When I moved to LA, it was a thing of, okay, wait a minute, I've survived New York, Brooklyn. And why would I have any shame in being from where I was at in the projects to knowing that there's things that I can use that I learned as a child here in LA? So that whole thing in New York, they call it the rat race, being able to pound the pavement, being able to be a go-getter and being real, that fit in well for me when I moved to LA. So I didn't have a problem, you know, letting people know that I was from the projects. I tell you this, it's a funny story. When I went into uh, uh, an audition, once I got into acting, I got out of music and I got into acting. And I went in for an audition and it was for the part of a thug. And so I go in into the, into the audition room and I'm sitting in the lobby and all these guys are sitting up there with tattoos and stuff and they're mean mugging and everything. And I don't look anything like a thug. I couldn't begin to do anything to make myself look like a thug. No earrings or anything like that. No piercings, no tattoos. So I'm saying, oh man, how am I going to go in here and get this audition? Like, this is like, you know, the one thing that I learned growing up was watching other people. I didn't know I was an actor until I became an actor. And so I had a lot in my data bank. And so I go into the room and <laughs> I go into the room in character. So the casting director's like, oh, so, um, hi, Choice. And she goes to shake my hand and I go, I don't shake hands. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm playing the thug persona. I booked the role. I knew I got it when I left out of there because they were so scared. Then I go, hey, I'm just, that was me in character. Hi, how you doing? I'm sorry I didn't shake your hand before, but that was me in character. I was just being like the guys from the neighborhood when I grew up. So that helped me tremendously. <laughs> Any piece of wisdom for someone that isn't okay with where they're from? They could be from a cul-de-sac in, in a neighborhood that I would have loved to have grown up in, but didn't. They could have been from wherever, but sometimes people aren't okay with where they're from for whatever reason. Any advice to them on that? Your circumstances and what you've been through sometimes have yet to reveal why they are important in your life. So in essence, what I'm saying is this, the circumstance doesn't make you, the circumstance prepares you for the situation that you're gonna go through. So in essence, everything that I went through, all the muggings and stuff like that, once I got into martial arts and then once I became an actor, I was able to use so many other things. And so there's no shame in what you've been through. The only shame is not telling anyone about it because your circumstance and your situation is there so that way you can probably help someone else in the future. You would be surprised. Like just me talking about being a project kid, sometimes I go and I speak at high schools or I'm on a panel and I'll tell people this and they're like, really? I would have never thought. I thought you might have been to college and you grew up in a suburb. And I'm like, no, I chose to speak well because that's what I wanted to be perceived as, as a person who could speak well. And so for me, it's a thing of the shame of hiding something comes from not realizing that there's power in that. There's power in being different. There's power in, in coming from a place of, of adversity. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't be able to, to say, hey, I've been through this and I'm still here? We're strong from that. And so embrace it, embrace it because there's so many people whose lives you're gonna touch. And I've learned that by being who I am and by being honest about the stuff that I've been through. 
I enjoy it. And I think that anybody that doesn't want to explain, uh, you know, explain where they've come from or what they've been through is they're they're not ready to receive the true blessing, which is touching others. You talked about earlier being observant, Mm -hmm. and this is just a side note, but I read that soldiers that had grown up in high stress environments actually survived, had more of a higher rate of survival because they were so on alert because it was it was natural for them to always be surveying yeah. their environment mm-hmm. and how that ended up helping them. Yeah. So that's interesting from you observing people. How do you think that's also helped you not even in a high stress situation just in life just just meeting a casting director and knowing okay, maybe this casting director doesn't have a sense of humor. Let me try something different. Yeah. They do. Yeah. Listen. <laughs> The entertainment industry, period, whether it's in acting or film or in music, dance, it's really all based on personalities. It, I mean, <laughs> when, you're, when you're working in an industry where people have worked really, really hard to use their talent or their resources to get to a specific place in life, you're gonna deal with personalities. You're gonna deal with the different things on why they don't like this and why they don't like that. You're gonna deal with idios. You're gonna deal with what people say, oh, this person, they just have you know, their eccentric behavior. Personalities is the number one driving force of the industry. It's the reason why specific people work together. I mean, you look at Leo and you look at Scorsese and why they continue to work together. It, it's a formula that works. And what I've learned is that your past experiences Okay, depending on, all right, let me look at it this way. Let me put it to you this way. I was raised by a single mom. I didn't have a dad. I don't know what it is to not have a dad because my dad died right before I was born. Okay. In that sense, a lot of the attributes with me growing up was from my mom. I didn't really have a father, but I had um, men who were like uh, mentors or men who I looked at and learned from. But I didn't know what it was to be my own man. When I got into the entertainment industry, a lot of the ways I responded was the way my mom would respond. That's not always a good thing. Because as being a young man, if I'm going in and I'm asking for some some budget, say for instance the budget is half a million dollars, I have to prove to this person that I'm balanced in a sense to where that money comes to me, I can handle it. I'm not going to get... Uh, into a space where personality-wise, I'm going to be indifferent. Or personality-wise, because I feel a certain way, I'm going to be indifferent. And I learned that, that that's important because people judge you based on how you are with your personality. It, you know, this whole industry is based on that. I, you know, casting directors, they, they, a lot of times I tell actors, um, it's all about the adjustment. It's not about going into the audition and being brilliant. That's great. But a lot of times the casting director or the director will throw something at you to see how well you make adjustments. And people don't realize that. So a lot of times people will go and they'll work on an audition and they'll nail it and they'll, they'll I got all my lines right and you know I, I know exactly what I'm gonna wear and I know what movement is gonna be. And then the casting director goes, that's great. Can you do it this way? Or they get the call back and the director goes, that's great. And you know you did great but can you do this? And people fail at it because they're not able to make adjustments. To me, that's the number one thing when it comes to dealing with personalities. When you meet someone, you say, okay, this is an idiot that they have. This is something that maybe even goes as far as their, their, uh, their ego. 
can I make the adjustment? Am I flexible? (laughs) Am I able to be okay with that? Who wants to work with someone that is inflexible or intolerant, you see? And I've learned that this thing's really all about personalities. (laughs) It's all about showing up. It's about integrity. It's about being there for people. It's about being able to communicate. It's about taking, you know, direction. And that's the number one thing that I think people fail at. Any stories to tell us about your first time on set? Oh, yeah. Um, I had got booked to be on a TV show. Um, it was a well-known TV show. It was a national TV show. It was like my first national TV show. And um, I was learning the process of what it is to be on set. And it's before my shot is up. And so I got all this time. I had been waiting in, in the uh, honey wagon for a minute. And they told me, okay, it's time to go to set. So I get to set. And they said, well, we don't need him yet. We're going to wait for him to, uh, to, to light the scene. And we're going to bring him in. And I said, okay, no worries. So they said, go get you something from craft service. And I'm like, I, I, I'm hungry, but I'm not really hungry. But at the same time, I'll go. So I go to craft service and I'm looking, I'm like, oh man, all these delectables and stuff. <laughs> you know, and I'm saying to myself, man, this, you know, I'm looking for someone to pay. I'm looking for, there's got to be somebody I have to pay there. So I got my wallet out and I'm waiting for someone. And this guy comes, I, I think he was, uh, he was probably a gaffer or, you know, one of the guys is a crew. And he comes over, he's got his belt on and he grabs something and he just starts, you know, fixing up and he starts eating and he walks off. And I'm like, oh my God, he didn't pay for it, you know? <laughs> and then this other guy comes up and I'm like, man, that guy just didn't pay for that. And he goes, oh, you don't have to pay? And I'm like, you don't? He's like, no, this is craft service. And he grabs something and he walks off. And it, there was that thing of me being so appreciative that I'm on set. I'm like, this is the, the whole experience, getting makeup, you know, people catering to you, people looking out for you and saying, hey, you know, this is this and that's that. And here it is, all the food you want, you can eat it when you have the time to eat it. And you don't ever have to worry about it. Why would I be indifferent in regards to being on the set? Why would I be a difficult actor? That experience helped me to love, helped me to love acting more because I was just like, man, you know, back in the day when I was a kid in the projects, I'd had to pay for this stuff. Here it is, it's free. <laughs> Funny stuff. <laughs> so taking that mindset where you felt so good, you felt appreciated, and then all the time it takes to get on that set and keeping your mind right yeah. in the meantime. Because it, I think sometimes, for me, I've had experiences too where you're treated so well in one place and then another place you're not. And it really can do a number on someone because yeah. it's hard to compartmentalize. Yeah. So how do you keep yourself, you, we talked earlier about, about balance off camera. Yeah. How, how do you keep, is that through the martial arts? or? Uh, yeah, I could, you know, listen, I, I coach a lot of actors. Um, I work with a lot of actors. Myself, I'm an actor. My, my acting coach used to always say, you're so focused because of your martial arts. I've been studying martial arts pretty much all my life. Um, and one of the things that you learn is focus. Focus is a very strong attribute that's needed for acting. Like you have to be able to focus. You know, you can't bring what you've been going through in life, build problems, family issues, you know, relationship issues on the set with you. If you're on, if you're the lead actor, or if you're in the top ten of the of the above the line, you can't bring your problems to the set. You can't bring your your mental imbalances on set. And so for me, there always has to be something that keeps you in. A, I've been using this word a lot lately: in alignment. 
you have to learn to be in alignment at all times. And for me, the focus, yeah, martial arts helps it, but really it's because I love it. And love overwhelms everything, in my opinion. Love, you know, you can, you can fall out of love, obviously. You can have a love-hate relationship. But if that love is pure, and, you know, I, I've never really wanted to do anything but be in the entertainment industry since I was a kid. Um, my first play was at six, and I played Eric the Red in, in a play. Um, here's this little black project kid playing Eric the Red in, a, in an elementary school play. I have pictures that reminds me of that, and I'm like, I've been doing this all my life. Why, why would I not be mentally in alignment with that? What, what would make me not have that love? I think it's like any relationship. I always tell people, you know, you gotta be married to the work. Yeah, you know, you could be married to someone and committed to someone, but you have to be married to the work. I always say God first, then your career, then you, then your family, friends, and loved ones, because there's a, a hierarchy in regards to how you can work with everything. Um, some people would disagree, but that's fine. I mean, I mean, I believe it's whatever keeps you in alignment. And martial arts helped me to understand that there was nothing impossible. Because I was able to do things that when I was a kid, being lanky and clumsy and being what I would consider a victim, I was able to do things as I got deeper into the martial arts that some people would consider impossible or not possible. And I was able to do that stuff. So for me to be able to, to shoot a feature or to, to be a director and say, man, we don't have any money or we don't have these resources, like nothing's impossible. We can get it done. We'll find a way. We just, just keep going. That's the answer. Just, just no matter what, just keep going. If you wake up, keep going. You see, that's my, that's my motto. And so um, for me, mentally, I'm on set. It's love. It's what I've been wanting to do. It's what I always want to do. Even when I'm exhausted, I'm editing in an editing bay or I'm going on auditions and nothing's happening. Just keep going. That's my mental state. Keep going. And by the way, I had a girl that was, I had heard she was going to beat me up too. So I knew, and it was, she never actually did it, but I know what that was like. But you're not the one to met. See, listen, this is the thing. I always tell people. <laughs> The person you think you can beat up is the person that will ruin your life. And mm. you're not a pushover. You're very strong. Oh, and I think you. sometimes when I teach self-defense and martial arts, I always tell people the reason why you don't want to fight is because you know how hard you can fight. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, wow. it's wow. true. Uh -huh. And I see it in you. Oh, thank you. Well, I, really I was do. bullied a lot as a kid, I know. so I know. Yeah, a lot and, of it and, came from that. And you, <laughs> and you believe in righteousness and justice and fairness. And, yeah. And that's the problem. People feel like they can just do whatever they want. Have you noticed, well, we'll talk about that later mm -hmm. off camera, but that's, that's excellent. I like that. It's that's, the truth. That's excellent. How old were you when you arrived in Los Angeles? Ooh, that's a good one. Ooh, I don't want to lie or okay. get it wrong. Okay, okay. <laughs> I was... What hit song was out? We'll just... <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Uh, I, that I remember. Aaliyah's um, Are You That Somebody. Okay. I remember so... that being on... Listen, <laughs> moving to L.A. was like a serious culture shock, okay? Because, you know, I came from Atlanta, Augusta, G.A., and uh, I had lived there for years. And then, you know, I had this R&B artist who flew me out. It was around Thanksgiving time. And we're working on his second album, which never saw the light of day, unfortunately. Um, but I remember going down to 101 because the 101 always freaked me out. It was just like, this is, you know, I'm not used to these type of freeways. And I remember, Are You That Somebody by Aaliyah being on it? Because I thought it was so odd to hear a baby in it. 
that in the song. I was like, Timbaland is crazy. He's got this little baby going in, but this is a dope song. So, yeah, I, whatever year that that was, I guess that was 98. Um, I might have been, what is this? That was, what is this? That was 20 years ago. Was so it how long ago? I, I probably was, I was 28. I was okay. 28, yeah, 28, 27, 28. Okay. Mm -hmm. What were your expectations when, when you think back to driving down that 101? And by the way, the 101 scares me too, so I, I can see why. But it's also invigorating at night. It's so beautiful. Yeah, you know? it, it, yeah. And there's this, Right, there's a sense yeah. of possibility, like, wow, this yeah. is Los Angeles yeah. and I'm here. But still, it is scary. But what were your expectations at that time? I thought in a year's time I was going to have probably five hit records on the radio. I was going to win an, a, 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 not an Oscar, a Grammy. And uh, I would be able to buy my mom a house. And uh, yeah, that's, that was a rough time because for how many years that I had been working on doing music and having the success that I did have living in Georgia and having my songs on the radio and stuff, when I moved to LA, that didn't happen. And um, it was just a rough time. I mean, I, I, I was living with the, the artist's family. Um, I didn't have my own place. And it was hard finding my space in that production company. And seeing, I was seeing where things were gonna be at that time. So what you're asking, on one hand, I had expectations on where I wanted it to go, but I was also seeing where it wasn't gonna go. And that's tough, especially when you're working with someone so talented because you're saying, mm, I see where you're headed and it's not good. And if that's where you're headed, what's gonna happen to me? <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. You know, I, I look back at my music career and I say, man, you know, as much as, and I still love music. I mean, if, if I had an opportunity, I probably would work with somebody and come out with an amazing record. But I didn't get the love that I get in film, I didn't get that love in music. And so you have to go where, where the love is reciprocated. As much as I love music, it wasn't loving me. As much as I love film, it loves me. And that to me is, you know, it's like any relationship. You know what I mean? It can't be one-sided. So my expectations were, I, I you know, I, I assumed I, I would have at least five songs on the radio. I was that good of a music producer and a songwriter, but it wasn't meant to be. And I had to accept that. And I had to accept that. And, and making that transition helped me to move into film easier. We talked about earlier uh, flexibility. Mm -hmm. And it, it goes back to sort of Darwinism too. He talks mm -hmm. about, you know, the species that survives are the ones that can adapt. Yeah. So you're talking about, you saw, even though you love music, it was everything you wanted to be, what was that moment like when you realized, I mean, how did you even see that? How did you see, as much as I love this, this is me, it's not going to happen? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably speaking the tale of many people who got to that point and quit the industry rather than making the adjustment. I think that's what happens. I think there's a point where everyone gets to in their life where they go, okay, listen, you know, I'm not receiving it because it's, it's really all about love. It really is. All we're looking for as human beings is for love. We're all looking for it. Some of us, we find it in entertainment. Some of us, we find it from our children. We find it from the, the spouse that we're with. We find it from our family. We find it from God. We find it from our religion. We find it the way that we need to find it. 
And when it's not reciprocated, it's a very powerful and painful thing. It was a cathartic moment for me. It was tough. I remember being on my knees and just crying and saying, God, why did you bring me out here? If this is not going to happen, like, you know, what do I do? Do I go back to, you know, to Augusta? Do I, you know, go to New York? What, what, what do I do? It's not happening. I've been struggling. You know, I was a personal trainer. I was working at a gym. I, I, I did so many different jobs. <laughs> but I think when you listen to that inner voice, you know, Oprah calls it the aha moment. I just believe it's just an epiphany when you wake up and you go, you know what, maybe that's just not the way it's supposed to happen. And if you let go, because sometimes God will say, be still and know that I am God. And I say, well, okay, what does that mean? What is that level of faith of understanding that if you wake up in the morning that you're breathing, that you're eating, that you have your capacity of your limbs and you're still moving forward, you have a roof over your head, you have food to eat, you have clothes on your back. He's giving you everything that you need so you just have to make that adjustment. And the adjustment for me was, okay, listen, music is not the way. But getting into film years later, needing to work on the music, which moves any film, I had all of that experience. And I said, well, wait a minute, that's what that was for. So I snatched that big pearl and I took it and put it into my collection of jewels. And now I realize, okay, all of those years of doing that, no difference than me being mugged or going through the violence that I went through in Brooklyn as a kid, which got me into the martial arts. All of those years of music and stuff helps me as a film director. It helps me to teach my actors because they don't know 80s music or 70s music or 60s and 50s and 40s and 30s and 20s. I know all of that stuff because I spent so many years in music. So now when I'm teaching them something about acting, I got a little extra resource that I can give them through lyrics that they've never heard because all they listen to is current music. Man, how powerful is that? When I'm telling them, hey, listen to Bruce Springsteen and he was saying this in this song, how close is that? Or listen to Richard Mark when he's talking about it don't mean nothing and this is attributing to your acting career, your singing career, your dance career. And they're going, wow, this is amazing stuff. They've never heard these songs. I have. You talk about being a teacher, mm -hmm. and we are in Sherman Oaks at the Young Actors Space. It's a beautiful studio here. Um, I've seen a lot of actors in the hallway. Yeah. Um, I know you've crossed paths with, I'm sure, so many young actors. They're new to L.A. So in your first class with those actors, what are some of the things that you're going over with them? Is it about craft, or is it just about balance? Um. It's really never about the craft because sometimes I get actors that studied in college and they come to me with a degree and I'm like, okay, well, I have to watch them. You know, I always say, the, the, they always ask me, do you have an audit? And I say, I have a working audit. I want to see you on stage. I want to throw you to the wolves. I want you to have that focus and that discipline that's necessary to see if you can fit in what I got going on. Um, the craft, listen, we are all good liars. Everybody is. And that to me is the ultimate form of acting. Acting is lying. And I've said it before, no one likes that term because no one wants to be coined a liar. But that's what acting is. You're taking a, a, a scene that was written by somebody that made it up. It doesn't exist. Okay. In a, in a galaxy long, long, far, far away, it doesn't exist. Okay. But you're taking the elements of that script and you're saying, okay, we're going to make this 
real life now. We're gonna make this the truth. And the actors have to read those lines and they have to believe in what they're saying and they have to get a response and they gotta get us to relate. It's all a lie, it's not real. None of it is real. Yeah, they created uh, robotic R2-D2s and C-3PO's and people dress up like Princess Leia and stuff, but that wasn't real. That came from George Lucas's mind. It's not real. And so if I focused with an actor on technique or, 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 or craft, they're, they're never gonna get to the essence of what acting is, which is knowing self, getting to know self, getting to be okay with self, getting to be okay with exposing self, revealing the layers, peeling the onion layers away, getting to understand how brave it takes a person to be, to be able to cry or, or laugh or be sexual or, or to, to be uh, uh, uncomfortable in a, in a comfortable environment or comfortable in an uncomfortable environment. That has nothing to do with craft. That has everything to do with self. The duration of doing the work, yes, that makes anybody comfortable. Um, can anybody act? Uh, I, I mean, there's a debate on that. I believe that the best actors are the most brave. I believe that those who study to understand human behavior are the most brave. So for me, right off the bat, when I get to see someone on stage, I got a feel of who they are and I know where to help them or to not even help them. Sometimes I say this class is not right for you because it's not about the money. It's about bringing powerful A-list actors to the front. I always say, why A-list actors? Because working actors don't always work. A-list actors work when they want to work. Julia Roberts had kids, took time off, came back, do anything she wants. That's <laughs> a big difference to me. So it's never about the craft. It's always to me about people getting to know who they are. And then once you get to know who you are, the next level is disciplining yourself to where you're amazing on set. And everybody likes you and everybody loves you because it's all love. We're all getting to do something we love. Why would you want to be difficult? Why would you want to bring in, you know, all of your, your idios or your, your little eccentric behavior? Nobody wants that. We want to make great films. We want to work. And so my work process or my approach with actors is getting them to know that they are brilliant and that they are great. And I, I always say my term is greatness recognizes greatness. I am great because you are great. So if you're great, I'm great. Love that. And I, I just thought of something in the moment, and that is you talk about knowing oneself. Have you seen people that aren't classically trained or have very little formal education come in and just know themselves and then also the opposite? Absolutely. I have uh, several actors like that right now in my class. One in particular, she's a, just a phenom. And so my thing is like sometimes when actors come, I figure out, okay, what do they need? Do they need more internal work? Do they need more uh, external work? You know, because everyone works differently. Some people work from the inside out and some from the outside in. Um, so sometimes it's just a thing of the material because they're brave. They just don't have any focus. So they don't have any uh, discipline. And so you give them the material and that material will help to mold them and to shape them and to put them in the direction that they're in. Uh, then you have on the other end the actor who comes in who is just a difficult actor and maybe they studied and they, they went to a prestigious school and they don't understand why their career is not taking off. And so then it's like, okay, well, listen, they always tell me, they say, well, I need you. If you can challenge me. You can challenge me. Beat me up. If I, I have no enjoyment in doing that. <laughs> you know, for me, 
I have a no pressure policy because how else are you going to be ready to work on a feature film and you have, it's a 92 page feature film and you have 90 pages of dialogue. If you get in your head about having to be able to do all of that, there's a pressure that comes with it. That's where most people start to veer off into drugs and alcohol or become belligerent, angry, and because of the pressure. For me, it's the thing of understanding that the work is not about pressure, the work is love. And so guiding them into that scenario sometimes is tough because they've already had this type of background where they've been structured. You know, they've been taught diligently, like it's learn your lines, you know. There is a difference between film acting and and stage acting and television acting, there are differences, but they're all acting. And so not one is better than the other. They're all important, in my opinion. Um, but sometimes you'll get someone who will say, you know, I'm a great actor because I'm a theater actor. Or I'm a great actor because I do TV. It's like, no, you're an actor. You know, you must respect all of the mediums the same. So I get a little bit of both. But I tend to like those who are empaths. Because an empath actor are easier to mold. Because they're already in touch with their emotions. You just got to get past what stops them from being open and being raw. But once you're able to mold them, Marlon Brando, you know, um, Meryl Streep, Denzel Washington, they're empaths, they feel everything. You blow on them, they feel it. It's the best actor to me. Not taking anything from the disciplined actor, they're just a little more heady. <laughs> and it takes takes a little bit more work to get them away from that. I got actors in my class like that too. and. You know, it's like, okay, how long is it going to take before you let go? You know, stop thinking. Because they think, you know, I always say we, we talk about the roller coaster ride. Acting is like a roller coaster ride, right? You have, you have the roller coaster rides or the rides at, at, um, at uh, you know, the different amusement parks where you may have something like the, the Superman ride where it just drops. But you're like, ah, you're going 100 miles an hour. You just drop. You can't control yourself, right? And then you have some that twist and turn and go and... That's the real process of acting. We don't want to know what's going to happen. We just want to be surprised. It's got to be random, but at the same time, you got to be able to relate. So the, the heady actor is like, okay, I want you to relate. I'm going to do these things to make you relate. Can you imagine Valentine's Day, you plan out everything you're going to do with the other person? No. You know, it's like you, you want to surprise people. You want to say, hey, look at this, look at that, look at this. You do your best to figure out what they like, but at the same time, it's got to be spontaneous. Hmm? How can you spot that empath? You know, they say we all have intuition, but some have higher levels, maybe? Well, I'm an empath, okay? So, <laughs> um, but I, I, I always say that we all block who we really are. There are three sides to who we are, who we think we are, who others think we are, and who we really are. Those three masks that we wear. The empath depending on what their background is, some people, you know, have been through a lot of things in life and they encase themselves. For me, in acting, once a person gets on stage, they can't hide. I've, I've, I've yet to find one person that could hide from that moment because something happens in an uncomfortable environment. If you can make someone comfortable in an uncomfortable environment, they tend to show who they are. They tend to be more who they are. And those signs appear and, and you see them, they're more, more prevalent and they're easier to spot. And so for empaths, usually it's a thing of 
feeling. They either feel from the outside in or the inside out. Something emotionally will strike them. And we have an exercise where um, when I, I get all the actors on stage and I make them close their eyes and I say, okay, and I want them to see things. And I say, see this or see that, or see this. The empath will always fall apart. They, I, I haven't had it happen where one wasn't in that space. They always fall apart. Even if they're holding on and they're trying not to cry or they're trying not to feel something, they always fall apart every time. <laughs> when did you know you were empathic? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I would say in studying under my acting coach, I, I knew then. I, I mean, listen, I, I've always been the type of kid where even when I would see two people fighting, I'd want to jump in between and, and stop them from fighting. Or when my mom was having it hard or one of my family members or friend was going through it, I was always there. Was that the sign of whether I was an impact or not? I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think so. But when I knew like, okay, I'm different. I, I feel like I feel was an acting class. And I never forget, I had a very close friend of mine, she passed away. And at this point, maybe five months into the acting class, I hadn't fallen apart, hadn't cried. And I did everything in my power not to cry because I'm just like, I don't cry. I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't cry. I don't show my emotions. I don't show my my feelings because I'm a martial artist and I'm strong and I'm a man and you know, I don't men don't cry. You know, you buy that. You believe that myth and that lie. And uh she gave me an exercise and she it was a it was an emotional exercise. It was for me to cry and I, I'm not I'm not gonna cry, I'm not gonna cry. And she told me to think about somebody who I love that wasn't there. And it just so happens that my friend passed away, just like maybe that week. And I'm holding it and I'm holding it and all of a sudden it came and it wouldn't stop. And it wouldn't stop and I cried for maybe two hours. And then after that I said to myself, okay, this is something new here. Well, that wasn't the determining factor. What was was time went by and I realized that every time I'd watch an acting scene, I'd feel it. And it was never like that before. And as time went on, I would feel everything. I'd feel the wind. I'd see a, you know, a sad dog or something like that. And I started, I was like, okay. And I had to look it up. I'm like, oh, empath. Okay, well, I guess that's what, my mom always says that I'm an indigo kid. I don't know, I guess. But empaths tend to be indigo kids. So maybe that's what it is. <laughs> how did you spend your first few years as an actor? And then how do you spend them now? Good question. Um, my first few years as an actor was hard work. It was, um, you know, I tell my actors the story about eating eggs, water, and donuts, but making sure I had money for my acting class. I didn't even have a car, but I would take the bus to get there. Didn't know how I would get home, but God blessed me with someone who would give me a ride. Um, it was all about just being the best that I could possibly be. I wanted to be in the ranks of the leading men of my caliber, Denzel, Wesley Snipes, Cuba Gooding. Those were the scenes I worked on. And I knew who I was as an actor, and I, I worked towards playing those authoritative roles. I didn't have a problem playing thugs or, you know, gangbangers and stuff. I love those characters. Those are guys I grew up with, so I understand it. But um, I've never been jaded in the sense of, like, not having the opportunity to play certain roles. Listen, in my beginning of an act, as being an actor, I worked on as many roles as I possibly could. If the roles didn't exist, I wrote them, and I would bring them into class. 
And so for me, it was just being the best that I possibly could be to understand the process of acting and to be great at it and to be a joy to be around because I understood that's how people continue to work with you. Where I'm at now as an actor, I really don't care for the auditioning process. I don't care for it. I do it. Um, my manager's always on me about it, so I do it. I go in. Um, one of the things that make, made me not care for it is knowing the politics behind it because I'm a producer and a director now. I know what I didn't know back then when I was just acting. And that is sometimes even if you're auditioning for a role, you're already not going to get it because they, they may be on the phone talking to the person that they just offered the role to. So that's kind of tough. And where I'm at now, I create my own content. I direct, I write. Um, and I have people who call me up and put me in projects because they remember me as an actor and they remember my work. So it, it can be a little funny sometimes for me because it's like, all right, listen, do I really want to waste the time and audition for something that I may not get? Um, or, you know, do I just continue to do the process because that's what that is, is audition is part of your acting process. Eh, I don't know. Um, where I'm at now, um, I just love having something that I write or someone write for me and say, hey, just come do this. It's easier. There's no pressure. There's no stress about it. And I enjoy that a little bit more than, yeah, I've never been a competitive person. Even in the martial arts, you know, fighting in tournaments wasn't for me. Um, so with acting, I don't look at it as competition. I look at it, like I said, it's love. There can't be competition in love. So I, if, if the role is right for me, give it to me. I'll show up for you and I'll do a great job. You think that audition grind is what sends a lot of people home or somewhere else? Somewhat. I think um, what sends people home mostly is lack of money. People get into the entertainment industry thinking that they're going to make a lot of money. And I always tell actors, if you got into the entertainment industry to make money, you can do anything else. I mean, you can do porn and make a lot of money. Acting, eh, it's a love-hate relationship for some people because, you know, they may have got out of college or they left a corporate job or they left pharmaceuticals. I knew an actor who was a rocket scientist, but he wasn't happy unless he was doing acting. And they get into the acting world and they want to make a lot of money and two, three years go by, four years, maybe five, and they're not making any money. They're working a dead-end job and they start to battle with that. And so I think typically that's usually what sends people home. The auditioning process has a different experience. Um, when you hear these stories of like uh, Angelina Jolie or uh, Mark Ruffalo, <laughs> they said he went out 50 times until he got his first role. I, I, I believe that everybody's resilience is a different level. Uh, I didn't have to go out 50 times. I, I think I went out three times and I booked my third audition. I didn't, yeah, I, I, I was that type of actor. Um, but I could see how the, the rejection, because like, like I said, everybody's looking for love. And even if you are going out for somebody that you, you like or you're attracted to and you get that rejection, there's a, there's a thing you go through. There's a catharsis. There's a, there's a hurtful period you go through. And I think if you're going out for auditions and you may be right for them and you're being told no and no and no, you start to question yourself, is this right for me? Is this really what I should be doing? Listen, if we're all climbing up a mountain, we don't know what's at the top of the mountain until we get there. The climb is just part of the journey. 
auditions are just part of the journey. And I believe that, I do believe that there's a point where actors need to know if they are auditioning actors or not, which basically means this. If you go in and you cannot defeat the nervousness, maybe audition is not for you, unless it helps you to book the audition. Maybe being nervous books that audition. Maybe you go in, you, you feel like you did a horrible job and then you get the call back and you, you book it. You're like, I was horrible. That happens. But I do believe that there's a sense that actors need to know if they are auditioning actors. Is the auditioning process for you? And if it isn't, what adjustment are you willing to make in order to be great at it? So that way you're not missing out on opportunities or you're not wasting your time. On one of our videos, Choice, an actor left a comment and this actor put, I don't know how to find work and an agent won't work with me because I don't have experience. Mm -hmm. What would you tell this actor? Um, pursue a manager because it seems like nowadays they're easier to, to, to gain. But, you know, it, it's not like how it used to be. It used to be you get a manager, you get an agent, then you go out, you audition and stuff. No. You can do a lot of it yourself. You can build your body of work by submitting and creating content. You know, actors have this tendency of just waiting around and, you know, or if they get an agent or manager, oh, okay, everything's okay. No, it's not. You know, agents and managers are like, gosh, the last person they see is the last person they remember. So if they met you five people ago or five persons ago, now they're not even thinking about you and you have to stay in their mind. You can do so much more nowadays, especially being non-union, because there's a lot of projects that are non-union. Actors tend to get caught up in this thing of my career is not going anywhere unless I'm doing it. But, the, you know, it goes back to that money thing again. They get into it to make money. And the money is not the key. <laughs> you know, you can make money doing a lot of other things. Um, if you're if you're in the entertainment industry, specifically acting, you're in it in order to live your dream. You're, you're in it in order to create great content that's going to change lives. That's just my opinion. But I would, t I would top it off or cap it off by saying create your own content because you can even become SAG that way or SAG eligible that way. Or submit, 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 submit yourself for anything and everything. Find out who the casting directors are on projects. Let them know, hey, listen, I'm here. I'm available to do standing work. I'm available to do extra work because I started out as an extra actor. And it opened up doors for me. The first extra gig that I got, I got camera time. I didn't wow. get any voice uh, work, but the camera was on me over and over again. So there were little signs that told me to keep going. And that's what I would say to anybody who's an actor. It's like, don't just depend on getting an agent or a manager. You got your own resources. The internet now is, is, a, is a hive of different types of resources to submit yourself. There's so many casting type of opportunities. You know, yeah, listen, you may not become the lead of a film, but at least you get in next to the person next to the person. What's wrong with that? And talking about observation, it's a great, great way to observe how the set works, the feel of it, you know, the, the protocol. You can see a lot. From Extra it. work, background, actors, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> My first job on the set as an extra was Free Jack. And I got to meet Emilio Estevez and Rene Russo. It doesn't get any better. Oh, In Atlanta, boy. we were, we were, 
we were there for the we were there. It was the best weekend ever. We were there for the Prince concert. And after that, we were riding by and we saw this area. We were like, what's all this happening here? And so we went over to the area where the video village was. At. I don't even know how we got over there. We just parked and walked over there. And, I, and I'm asking this guy, I'm like, what's going on? Oh, they're filming a movie with Anthony Hopkins and Renee Russo and Emilio Estevez. I'm like, really? They were like, yeah. And I'm like, well, what's that lady doing? She said, she's looking for extras. And I'm like, what's an extra? Oh, you get to be in the movie. So I didn't know the, 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 the particulars for it, but I just knew, oh, this is something cool. And so I go over and, and they said, just stand there and look good because she'll pick you. So she comes and picks me and my friends. And we're in this movie, and this is before I come out to L.A. and do what I consider my first, first extra work, which I knew what exactly I was doing. But where I'm at, there's this car that keeps going back and forth, and they put us right there. Out pops out Rene Russo. Out pops out Emilio Estevez. We're standing there. We're talking. We're having a good time. We take pictures. <laughs> Emilio and I are singing hair songs, songs from <laughs> hair. It's crazy. And I'm like, this is cool. This is great. I get to LA. I do my first big extra job, as I said before. And it gets to a point where I need to become SAG. And I'm like, man, how am I going to do it? I need vouchers. I go look in my box. Guess what? That voucher that I had got from Free Jack was a SAG eligible voucher. Wow. So I had been tap hardly and I didn't even know it. Oh my gosh. And that's just from driving by, not calling. Driving by. A casting. Didn't know anything about it. Talk about random fortune, stroke, you know, got out, went over, applied yourself. And that's what I think people should do. I think you should apply yourself. Don't be afraid to do extra work. Sometimes if, if it's meant to be for you, you may even get a line. You know, managers and agents can't do that for you. <laughs> At what point did you want to start directing? After the first big strike during during my career as an actor we had a strike in ooh 2002 I think or three or something like that um there was there wasn't a lot of work for, for black American actors there wasn't hardly anything like we were like not getting any work and um, at that time I had already been writing scripts and wanting to learn the production process which helped me understand my acting career a little bit better, but it was it was a necessity um, to the point where I was like, listen, I'm not getting any work. I'm auditioning, nothing's happening, and I want to have a reason on why I'm doing this thing called acting and why I'm in this entertainment career. And it just got to a point where you know I had been on set enough, and I had understood how to work with actors because I had been coaching people on the side who were friends of mine, and they were booking that I understood the directing process. Now, there were things that I didn't know. I didn't know a days in, days out schedule. I didn't know how to <laughs> do a shot list. There, you know, there were things I didn't know, but like I've always believed if you don't know something, apply yourself, learn it, and then make it yours and, and make it to where you know it better than anybody. And so I got to a point where I'm like, okay, listen, I need to, to know what it is to be able to direct. It, even if it doesn't work, I'll, I'll just do it. And if I like it, you know, we'll see what happens. I fell in love with it and I realized that it was a natural thing for me. And so I just started directing. I directed my first short, it won awards. I directed web series, it won awards. Everything that I've directed had won awards. <laughs> it's just, it just kept going. So I realized, okay, I like this. And that kept me in the process of directing. 
you think that an actor has to change how they own who they are from, I don't even know if I'm saying this right, but changing that mindset from the director to, to actor and back and forth, is there something where you have to become comfortable with who you are in instructing people how to do something? Probably the same for teaching as well. Um, with actors, because there are different levels of battles that they face. The first battle that actors face is finding their way in the industry, not so much in the talent area, because you can get an idea or sensibility of whether you're talented or not. You know, if you're in a class, it doesn't matter what the class is, it doesn't matter who the coach is, you can get a sensibility of, of who you are as an artist. If you need to work more on specific things or if you need to uh, focus more on certain things. The, the first level to me, mostly for them, is the, the, the business. Like, they don't understand the business. So you have to help them to, to relate with like, listen, this is a business. Like it's not just you wanting to be on a red carpet or you being on the set. There's a business behind it, there's a responsibility. The second level is once they get to a point of knowing that they're good, there's a bitterness. Because you can be an amazing actor and if you don't get the work that you feel you deserve, you become bitter, or if you're not working at all. Say for instance, there's, say for instance, you booked maybe four jobs in a year, and then there's five years of nothing. That can make you bitter, especially if you know you're great. The third and final level to me is liberation of knowing who you are, and I think that's kind of what you're asking about, because then you say, okay, listen, there have been people who've been successful in their acting career and still got out the business. Like, I mean, if you go back and you look at a lot of the, the actors from the 80s, they get, they, I'm like, whatever happened to this person? Yeah, I know. They got out the business. They got into real estate. They got into sports or being a coach or being a teacher. It's like, what happened? Or they just, um, you know, they just took care of their family. They just stopped. Rob, Rob Moranis, I think his name is, uh, he, he just got out. He was one of the highest paid actors. And he just took care of his family. That was most, most important. As a coach, your job, and I listen, most people come in my life or I come into their life and they want me to be their big uncle, they want me to be their mentor, they want me to be their shaman, whatever, their guru. I said, listen, I'm your acting coach. And what I really care more about than anything is your career. Because if you focus on your career, all the things that would give you most of the problems would be taken care of. You'll be able to focus on things that will watch out for you. If you want the desires of your heart, that shifts. I always give a good analogy. I say, listen, we go to an ice cream shop, right? What's your favorite ice cream? Let me ask you that. What's your favorite ice cream? Oh, uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Okay. Mm -hmm. How many times have you gone to an ice cream shop, had that in mind on, that's, that's one of my favorites too, as, the, <laughs> as what you're going to get. Like, I'm going to get that Reese's. And then you go there, maybe the cold stone or something, and you say, ooh, what's that? And then you get that. Right. Because that's who we are as human beings. We move and we go according to how we feel. And so, in your career, can you really trust that? You can't, especially if you don't understand the business. So when that pumpkin spice appears. You gotta go with mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand why you're going with that. And it's not that you don't love the, the peanut butter cup, it's just that, you know what, I'm, I wanna try this. And being okay with yourself as a human being and saying, listen, when you get to a certain level as an actor and you say, okay, I don't want to do this anymore, because people do it. That doesn't mean that the desire dies. 
You just better make sure you got a backup plan because it's gonna hit you again. It happens all the time. I bump into people who I was acting with back when I was just in class as an actor. And they've gotten married and had kids and they got great jobs and they're going, oh, how you been? Are you still acting? Yes, I am. Oh, I got out a while ago. But I'm thinking about getting headshots. I'm thinking about maybe getting out on, don't you have kids? Yeah, but they're older now. The desire doesn't leave, which is why people have midlife crisis. <laughs> they're not doing what they really want to do. Do you feel it's a director's job to be on set before everyone else's choice? Oh, absolutely. Um, I believe that if you set the precedent, everyone will follow. The, the director, you know, people always think that producers fix problems. Directors prevent problems and fixes them as well, especially if you're a director-producer or director-producer-writer. Um, I got to be there first. I have to be the one to get the energy up. I got to make sure sometimes I'll, I'll drink a monster on the way to set. <laughs> if it's been a long shoot, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped up. I find a way to make everything uh, feel good for everybody. You know, everyone's there to create something. They're all there to, to share their gifts, as Patrick, my uh, friend, says. They're there to share their gifts. And your job is to make sure that they have a fertile ground in which to plant great seeds. And so, yeah, I'm, there, I'm usually there first and sometimes the last to leave. Unless it's a project where they got to take everything down, I got an early call time. You know, I, I got to leave to get some sleep or watch the LEs and then get up and start the process all over again. What are five skills you think a director should have? Every director should, if they don't have them, work on them. Uh, the skill of communicating with actors is number one, which is why, you know, some of the best actors, some of the best directors were actors. Right. So the skill of the skill of directing actors, the, the skill of talking to actors is one, um, making a tremendous shot list and being flexible with being able to leave that shot list is two. It, the shot is never more important than the actors or the crew. Never. And I've been on sets where people feel like, oh, well, I got to get my shot. I gotta get my nope. Mm -mm, mm -mm. You have to take care of your people because you're a leader. Um, that was two. Number three, I would say, is um, uh, a work environment that is fun, uplifting, inspiring, even if it's a drama. Even if it's a drama. I mean, it's easy for a comedy or it's easy for an action film for everybody to get pumped up and to feel, you know, a certain way. But it's important and imperative that you make it feel where people want to come to the set. And with a drama, that's even more of a reason why you want to have that uplifted experience. Um, number four, the skill of listening. <laughs> I learned that, um, that it's important to listen to people because sometimes, um, sometimes you may have an idea and what you want and the DP or your producers or the actors may have a different way. Uh, and it's important to listen to them because they may be telling you something that you won't find out until post. And then you go, oh, that's a good reason. That was a good reason. And number five, the skill of letting go. If it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. Now, that's contrary to knowing that it doesn't matter what it takes to get it done, okay, without people being compromised. But at the same time, it's the thing of saying, okay, um, there's a reason why it's not happening. Let it go. It's different than saying, it, you know, it, it's not impossible. Anything's possible. I can get it done. 
don't say no because no has never done anything for anybody. But when it comes to saying, okay, this is it, that, you know, let it go. Instead of wasting, you know, 20 minutes talking about a shot with an actor, just say, okay, listen, no worries. Why don't you go ahead and give me that and then give me this? So now I have two choices because then that goes back to the listening thing. When I go on to post, then I go, oh, they were right. Okay, I'll use that one instead. Letting go versus what you always hear about is these great creative geniuses, entrepreneurs. They're so driven. They're obsessed. Can you still be all of that and at some point let go? Passive aggressive energy is part of that personality thing that I mentioned about this industry. Um, no one has to be overtly authoritative. You, you never have to force somebody to do something. If, if it's something that needs to be done, we all know, we all show up, we're all there, we say, okay, this needs to be done. We all understand that. You hired people according to that. You would hope that everybody shows up, that everybody does their part. You can't bank on someone's life being upside down and they're not in it and they do a shoddy job. Well, guess what? It falls on you to fix it, to make it right. I never had that issue because I'm always, I'm always in the mindset of I'm good at so many things. I don't know everything, but everything I know, I know well. And I make that happen because of the fact that you never know what will be the weak link in what you're doing. So all you can do is hope that everybody shows up and, and everybody pulls through and, and just understand that you can't make anybody do it. You can't. You, I don't care how authoritative a person you are. The more you argue with someone, the less they're likely they're going to want to do it. I mean, it's just the way it is. That's who we are as human beings. You talked about um, seeds, fertile soil, something. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because last night driving home, I heard that on the radio and the guy was talking about what he thought was going to be this great thing. Turned out that it was bad and what he didn't realize is the analogy, or maybe it's a parable, about trying to plant seeds in soil that's not been sowed, that's not fertile, that's almost like it's a bunch of rocks. Yep. Unmet expectations breeds depression. Unmet expectations breeds depression, which basically means this. I may have thought that planting the seed was going to bring forth a lot, a great harvest, but it may have not been for that seed to go there. And the expectation that I had on it is going to be very, very, very unmet. It's going to be sad for me. Because I'm expecting, I'm putting a lot. You know, people always say, don't cast all your irons in the fire or, you know, it's the same thing. You have to be mindful in knowing that sometimes things don't go that way. And you have to be adjustable and you have to be flexible and you have to know in the end that it's going to work out. I mean, that's to me, that's a faith thing. That's the thing of understanding faith. That's the thing of understanding purpose, understanding providence, understanding that it's already worked out before you even embarked on it. It's going to be okay. But can you accept that it didn't work out? Can you accept that because it didn't work out that there's a lesson in that for you down the road that's going to teach you something even more? Like I go back to my music career, it didn't work out, right? I was great, I was amazing, I was talented, you know, there was opportunity, but it didn't work out. If I wasn't able, say for instance, it, it got to the point where I was so upset about that I did something erratic because it didn't work out. I would have never gotten this far to know 
that there were other glorious things that were going to open up for me. And I look back at that. Of course we have regrets. Who doesn't have regrets, right? That's part of life. You should have regrets because regrets help you to understand not to make the same mistakes. <laughs> but <laughs> at least an understanding that, you know, okay, I sow the seed, I plant the seed, but it didn't happen. Well, let me just take that seed, dig it up. It's still, you still got the seed and put it over here and maybe it'll grow. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Just got to keep going. Anybody under 30 feels that pressure to make it before 30. Mm. And I think, I, I feel like now even more so. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that and mm -hmm. how you are now in that opinion and what you tell some of your students? Yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> I've learned the, the difference between men and women when it comes to birthdays. It's really funny. Yes, um, every true. guy <laughs> at a certain age has this mental meltdown when their birthday approaches because they haven't accomplished what they've wanted to accomplish in life. Women are different. You guys will go out, you deal with it in a different way. They'll go shopping, they'll buy some shoes, they'll work it out, they'll figure it out. Guys have a mental meltdown. We just, we can't handle it because, you know, a man is typically in his, in his own thinking judged by his achievements, by his accomplishments. And we all unfortunately do that to ourselves. We plan out our life. And you've heard people say, I didn't think I'd be here. I thought I'd be so much further. And for me, when I had that epiphany, when I had that meltdown, um, I, I think I went into this place of saying to myself, okay, well, if that's not what's happening now, what am I supposed to do? And like I said, you, you keep going. You know, the hardest part is to keep going. But I think with most people having that understanding of, okay, you know, life is what it is. It's not, it's not what I want it to be, it's what it's going to be. And am I okay with that? Am I okay with, you know, being this age and not having this? But I did start the entertainment industry a little later. I have actors in my class, they started in, in their teens and they're doing great now. You know, actors and people that I've worked with when I met them at 19 and they're doing phenomenal now, you know, big agents and two or three TV shows and stuff. But I firmly believe that if it wasn't supposed to happen until 50, it's not going to happen until 50. So there's nothing you can do about it. And to me, the growth is accepting that. Really, really, really accepting that. And that's what my epiphany was. was like, okay, it's not supposed to happen this way. Are you okay with that? And moving from there. And I think once people do that, it's, that's the true level of faith, of knowing that this is what you're supposed to be doing. The, 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 there, there is no falsehood in it. It's just a thing of a matter of time. Okay, what if you're okay with it and you've worked on yourself enough where you're okay, but you're getting all these little voices from here and there and, and it's your 30th birthday. I mean, I'm, I'm past 30, yeah. but I remember mm -hmm. that pressure. And mm -hmm. for me, 30 was actually wonderfully freeing. Mm -hmm. I was in a rare situation where I was getting out of a bad situation, so I felt good. Mm -hmm. But I know a lot of people feel this weird pressure. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about this pressure from outside yourself? Yeah. What if you worked on yourself, but outside? I Honestly, I never really had that pressure. Once, once, like, and if, I, if, if it was going to be, it was going to be from my mom, because you know my mom is one of my driving forces. But she's my number one fan. She's my biggest fan. So it never, it never came to that point. Now, there were always people around me accomplishing. That's a different pressure that I put on myself, seeing other people get there and wondering why I'm not. 
that's always like if anyone says that that doesn't bother them they're lying that's the narcissism as who we are as actors and entertainers like you know you want to be doing just as great as somebody else it's not competition it's just a thing of i'm talented this person's talented i should be there as well um life isn't fair and it ain't a circus either <laughs> you know um, <laughs> i think once i realized that that quote once i realized that i, I it, it, things got easier for me so there was never really any outside pressure um, for that in regards to me. There was always the fear of, am I ever going to make it? Am I ever going to get there? Am I ever going to be able to do this? Am I ever... That's always a fear because, you know, you're, you're battling life. You're battling time. Time is the most precious gift that's given to you. And, you know, you're hoping that, man, by the time I'm this age, I want to be able to do this. And, you know, but listen, if you're not doing what you love, get out and find out what that is. And if you are doing what you love, but you're hearing, or even no one's saying it to you, but you just turn on Twitter and the top 30 of 30, 25 under 25, so then the media is telling you that you're yeah. not okay. Yeah, but you know, times are different. I mean, back then when I, when I was just acting, it, it was a different time than it is now. I mean, there's people in their 60s and 70s becoming stars overnight, sensations and stuff. It, I, listen, I tell my actors all the time, like, if your family or people are not on your crew, then why should they be there when you finally get blessed? Because it's going to happen. And I do tell people the only reason why it won't happen is if you quit. It won't happen. There's a, there's a definitive thing that happens if you quit. You don't make it. That's just, that's just it's night and day. It's, it's black and white. You quit, you don't make it. You stay in the game. It's a numbers game. You will get there. Now, the level of what you get to is primarily on your understanding of the business and how much you want to give over of who you are, your commitment. Um, but, you know, unless your mom or your dad is, is, is doing sound and, you know, holding a boom mic and, you know, picking up sandbags and stuff, if they're, they don't have a right to say anything about your career if they're not doing that. If they're really, really behind you and supporting you, I can understand hearing their voices, but if they're not even doing that, if they're not supporting you by sending money or, you know, playing tickets when they want you to come home and all that stuff, why would you even listen to them, honestly? When you do sit down and write your own material, how important is the protagonist and their journey in your storytelling? Ooh. Um, that's a good question because uh, I think what helped me in writing was being an actor and not judging the protagonist or the antagonist because you can do that. You know, actors tend to play roles sometimes that they're not right for because they're judging it. And if you're, you're judging a character, you're not being honest or truthful to the character. And so what happens is as a writer, when you write, are you writing the protagonist because it's just from A to B or A to C is what you need to use in order to get there and then your, your antagonist or the, the other roles or the other characters become the most interesting. It happens a lot. You see it in film. And you go, oh, we don't really care about the lead. We don't really care about the hero. We, we like that villain. Because we write according, as writers, we write according to who we really are. So if there's things as an actor that I want to be able to play, I want to play bad guys. Like I like playing thugs. I like playing the guy that got the gun or this or that. Um, I tend to cater more to those types of roles because playing the teacher or playing the authoritative figure is easy. That's a piece of cake for me. But when I write, I say, okay, listen, my 
my antagonist is only as strong as my protagonist. So I have to make a protagonist that first of everyone can like and relate to. I knew I knew about that before Save the Cat. And when people would give me Save the Cat, I'm like, what are you giving this to me for? I already know this. You gotta get something to make people relate and like this character. So the antagonist is to me the most important. If you have a strong uh, protagonist, you'll have a great antagonist, an even better antagonist. And I tend to write ensemble pieces. So everyone has to shine because I write for actors, you see? And that's where my mind goes to. Okay, so you have your hero. How are you showing that they're not perfect so that we can all relate to that character? That's understanding life. That's, that's going back to what I said about knowing self. I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. I'm actually not a nice person like people would think. We all would think, oh, everyone's a nice person. I'm a decent man. I think we're all decent. I think we all have our ups and downs, our, our good and bad, whatever that is, relative term. But I, I believe that if, if you create a character who you show as the hero, then you must show what his fears are, you see? Because the fears will let you know the downside of the character because everyone that makes mistakes or does horrible things, they do it out of fear. Prejudice is out of fear, right? Racism, out of fear. You know, theft is out of fear. Everything is out of fear, you see? So if you say, okay, why is this character who he is? Well, he has a fear. Maybe it's a character who, you know, he goes around beating up, he's a bully. Well, why is he a bully? Because he fears being bullied. You see, he was bullied, right? So he doesn't want to be bullied again. So his, in his desire, I'm gonna bully everybody before they bully me. So we can sit there and judge him, like, oh, he's a horrible person. But you humanize him by showing why he's this way. And so by showing he was bullied, therefore he became a bully. He wasn't able to break the chain. Some people can break the chain. Some people, I'm one of those people, I was bullied, but I broke the chain. I was able not to. Does that make me a good person? No, I'm probably a bully in other areas. So there is no perfection ever in any character. But you do have what sometimes I tell my actors um, in writing, we have the tragic character. Now this is the character that did nothing wrong, said nothing wrong, didn't do anything to offend anybody, but everything fell on them. The scapegoat. The scapegoat. Darth Vader is the perfect tragic character. Perfect. And even though George kind of suffered a little on the three other films, he brought it full circle for you to understand why he was a tragic character. He was born, didn't have a dad, immaculate conception, had stuff happen to him, bullied through the Jedi Order, was destined to become this man no matter what and died and never really understood anything that he went through. Tragic character. One of the greatest villains that ever graced the screen. Everyone knows him around the world was a tragic character. That to me is great writing. What's the biggest problem you have faced repeatedly in your career? Okay, I'm gonna keep it real. The fact that I'm a renaissance man. I'm capable of doing a lot of different things and I'm underestimated. 
it's tough when you go into an office and you say, I want to do this, I want to do that, and I want to do that, and you can do it. It makes it hard for people to figure out how they fit in the scheme of things. So it's almost like, just give me the money, step aside, and let me do it. You know, I can direct it, I can do it, let me, let me make it do, let me make it happen. Um, you know, we would like to think that there is no racism in Hollywood. It's like we would hope that the world is getting better, but Hollywood has its issues, and it's been prevalent. We see it more. We see the feminism. We see the indifference. We see all of that. And as a, a, a young black man, I still consider myself a young black man with a lot of energy and a lot of ideas, and I know that there are stories that I could tell that would not only make money for those who would invest in it, but that would change things and you know, make people think. Because I love making people think. I love making them relate and feel. It's tough. It's tough when you go, okay, here's some of my greatest work, all right? Will somebody work with me? And they won't. And the phone doesn't happen. It doesn't call and you can't get the pitch meetings. And, you know, other people are getting the jobs. It's, it's tough. It's, it's, a, it's a tough thing because it's like, okay, I'm... I'm working on this on my own. I'm doing these things. You know, I'm taking projects and I'm making these films that people go, you did this? You know, I, I did an award-winning film that won Octavia Spencer's, you know, competition. I shot it with an iPhone. This is before shooting a film with an iPhone was popular. And it's like, mm. And you just keep going. And it's tough. It's hurtful. It's painful. Um, I'm not one of those people to take stuff like that and, and feel like I gotta, you know, come back. I just keep going. I just keep going because I know it's just always a matter of time before people, all of a sudden everybody knew you, <laughs> you know, and that's what happens, you know. How do you think the martial arts has helped you with that? You don't quit. I, I've learned, um, like I said, you know, in martial arts I would do a competition and I stopped that because I didn't believe that someone could tag me three times and they won. It's like, yeah, I don't believe in competition, but I don't believe you won just because you tagged me three times. I gotta be down and out. I gotta be knocked out. I gotta be out of my wits or out of my mind or my consciousness. Um, and what the martial arts has done for me is showed me that anything is possible. You know, I used to tell my students, let your life revolve around the martial arts and the martial arts revolve around your life and there is nothing you can't accomplish. There's nothing you can't accomplish. So. Um, it helps me to know that I can do the unthinkable, I can do the impossible, and that's my driving force. That's a reminder, you know, when I have a long shoot day or a schedule that seems like it's not gonna be met, I go and I look at what I'm able to do in the martial arts, which is incredulous. It's like, this is awesome stuff. And I'm able to go and do that and not get tired mentally or spiritually.